The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah, the 62nd chapter. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. And again, good to see everybody this evening, and I'm thankful I had some vacation time. That's why I wasn't here last week, but I'm glad to be here again this evening. Tonight, I want to focus on this gospel lesson from John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus performed at the wedding of Cana. As we begin, I'd like you to just kind of think about this. I'd like you to think about some recent fairly serious problems that you have had. Uh, Something is broken, something's lost, something went wrong, some accident, some bad news that you have gotten. And I'd like you to think about your reaction to those problems. How did it go? What was your initial approach to all of those things? When I think about that, I often see in my own life and in other people's lives, three approaches to difficulties and problems as they rise up in life. The worst one, and the first one, is simply to complain and to blame the problem on somebody else. The second one is better, and that is to admit responsibility uh, and just to say, I've got to work, I've got to fix this problem. But the third is the best way of all, and that is the way of taking our problems to the Lord in prayer and working to see them get completed and solved. 
But as we have looked to the Lord and found his strength in doing so, uh, the ultimate outcome there is that God is glorified. So while the first way is really bad because it accomplishes nothing, the second way is better, but it's not as good as the third way because it only gives us an earthly solution to problems. The third way, taking our problems to the Lord in prayer, working on them and glorifying Him, that not only provides an earthly solution to life's problems, but it leads us toward the ultimate solution to the ultimate problem of sin in this world and in our own lives. We see all of that kind of unfolding in this miracle that happened at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Jesus manifests his glory and shows us our salvation and the world's salvation. Let me remind you of verses 1 and 2 again. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. It's interesting how John begins his gospel just like Genesis. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. John 1.1, in the beginning. Both gospel, the gospel of John and the book of Genesis, begin with the doctrine of creation. And it's also interesting that now in the second chapter of John, as well as the second chapter in Genesis, it's about a wedding. In Genesis, the wedding of Adam and Eve. And in John, not a wedding we know. We don't know who was getting married here, and that's... I think, done on purpose to point us even further out to the ultimate wedding, the wedding of God with his people. It shows us that marriage is very important to God. It's right there at the beginning of the world, and it's right there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So in Genesis, we have the beginning with creation, but in John, we have the beginning of salvation in Jesus' ministry. As a pastor once said, marriage is from God, not from the gorilla. This is a big problem in our world today. As people have given up on the doctrine of creation, they have invited all kinds of confusion into their lives. And we especially see that confusion when it comes to marriage. What is it? People think they can make it up, define it, change it, make it mean whatever it means to them, almost as though we are nothing more than animals. But God tells us, God who created the world and created marriage, tells us that marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman, one man, one woman. It is for the purpose of children, if God blesses us with children. If he doesn't bless us with children, we're still part of the many families around us supporting families and supporting children. But most of all, marriage is a symbol of God's love and of God's salvation. And it's often used that way in the Bible. When we misuse the sexuality that God has given to us from the creation, we invite all sorts of problems into our lives. Unbiblical divorce, um, unwanted children. This is Life Sunday. We're going to have a special Bible study about that tomorrow. And I don't think anyone can deny that the vast majority of all abortions really stem from another sin, and that's the sin of misunderstanding, misusing our sexuality, and ignoring God's word about marriage. 
Not only that, but this problem is a problem that creates economic problems, emotional problems, life-threatening problems, the destruction of the family, and when the family begins to be destroyed, the nation will soon follow. And so it's important for us to recognize the reality of marriage and the divine aspects of marriage and what makes marriage holy and how we should see in marriage especially the work of God's salvation and the ultimate love and marriage that God has with us and with this world. So it's no surprise that when Jesus was invited to this wedding, he and his disciples, that's kind of interesting, they, you know, yeah, Jesus come along with your 12 friends. Uh, that added quite a few guests to the list there. Uh, maybe Jesus was even thinking about this beautiful verse from Isaiah 62 that Pastor Adel just read a moment ago as he was going to this wedding. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God created marriage, he supports marriage, and he uses marriage as a symbol of salvation and his love for us. Let's go to verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Well, this was embarrassing. This was maybe for some people a bad omen. I've presided over many weddings in my career, and I can tell you that it's not unusual to have a glitch in a wedding. In fact, I, I tell every bride, you know, just understand that if there's a glitch in your wedding, um, that's character. It's, 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 it's okay. The mo most important thing is that you both be there and that we both hear your promises to each other and ultimately that we hear God's promises to you. Everything else is icing on the cake. And not only are there glitches in wedding ceremonies, but of course there are going to be problems in marriage itself. It will have its difficulties. Statistically, half of all marriages in our country fail. Why is that? Well, I think the Bible gives a very clear answer to that. The evil one hates marriage. Marriage gives life. Marriage is the foundation for so many things, and so this is where the enemy of God lays his most serious attacks. And so this gospel lesson today is kind of symbolic of many things. Uh, both it's a symbol, symbol of God's salvation, but it's also a symbol of, of the problems in the world and the problems in our own lives. The empty jars, the lack of wine, represents in many ways the emptiness of the world and the emptiness of life for us personally. A reminder to us that problems grow up like weeds in this world but blessings can only come down from above. The world has fallen. Our flesh has fallen. Marriage will have its difficulties, if not its disasters. And that's the way it's true. That is also true of all of our relationships with parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends, at work, in the neighborhood, in the nation. Love will run out. There will not be enough wine in this world to make all things go well. And that's why we turn now to verses 4 and 5. 
the solution to all of this. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. I, in my Bible studies, often point out to people that every human being in the Bible uh, shows up with flaws and imperfections. Some of them are huge. And it's just a part of the doctrine of the Bible that all human beings are sinners. But one of the Bible studies I was teaching, a person raised their hand and they said, Pastor, would you have to admit that Mary comes pretty close to being the flawless human being in the Bible? And I would have to almost agree with that. That's close to being true, but it's not quite true. At one point, Jesus' mother uh, wasn't sure about his ministry and the way things were going, and she and some of her children even began to interfere at one point and kind of showed a, a, a season of doubt for her. But the, way, the one that's most important, I think, is in her song that she sings in Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat, we call it. In that song, she refers to God as God, my Savior, my Savior. She needed a Savior just like everyone else. However, I will admit she is one of the most amazing of all the disciples. I don't know that Mary had the beauty of Esther. She was not a Harvard graduate or anything like that. And yet her great quality was that gift of faith that God had given to her. And so when this problem rises, remember I started the sermon asking you about your problems and how you respond to your problems three ways, right? Complain and blame, work hard to fix it, or now we see Mary taking that third approach. Bring your problem to the Lord. Ask Him for His help. And this is exactly what she does. Now Jesus it sounds harsh, right? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. What is that all about? This is not harsh at all. This is a reminder. This really shows us that Jesus is the Son of God. And he doesn't say things just to make people feel good. He, he says what needs to be said at the time in the right way. And, and what he is saying to Mary here is this. A very important part of this gospel lesson. He is saying... A reminder to her, you can ask, but you can't command God. And your problems, your small problems in life are not as important as the one huge problem of all. And that is the problem of our sin and our damnation and our need for salvation. So when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, he's talking about that. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the resurrection. And he's also saying to Mary and to all of us, I want you to remember how important that is. However, this does not mean that your small problems are not important to God. All he was saying to Mary was, I want you to make sure you understand this is most important and these other little problems they will fall into place and they will be part of this solution as well. And so it's interesting, Mary gets this. Notice that Mary doesn't like, okay, walk away like, like her son had rebuffed her or something like that. No, I think Mary got that exactly. Okay, Jesus, I agree with you. That's right. 
you have a higher purpose than fixing this problem at this wedding. But, he tells servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So beautiful. She trusts Jesus for her salvation, but she also is going to ask him for his help for her little problems. And that is exactly the way we need to think about our lives as well. We still ask, and he does care. He does care for the big problem of our salvation, and he cares for our little problems as well. What are they? What are your struggles? What are your problems? Is your marriage suffering? Do you worry about your children? Are you experiencing problems at work? Do you feel an emptiness, fearful, lonely, guilty, perhaps, bitter, jealous, envious? Maybe you don't have any of those kind of negative issues going on in your life. Maybe everything right now is positive. But in the back of your mind, you know, oh, that could be a problem too. Everything's going great. Maybe it's going too great. Maybe I'm being pulled a little bit away from God. If I don't watch it, Maybe that will lead me into bad things someday. All of us face these realities. And so this advice of Mary to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, is so vital for us. It's haunting if you ignore it, but it's inspiring if you follow it. What are our stone jars? Do whatever he tells you to do. Fill the jars to the brim, take them to the master of the ceremony, It was a tremendous miracle. Not only did the water turn into wine, but it turned into good wine, the Bible tells us. It was a miracle both of quantity and of quality. Our jars that need to be filled are the things that Jesus tells us to do. Keep the commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Take eat. Take drink. This is my body. This is my blood. These don't require great scholarship. They don't require great wealth. They don't even require great physical strength. But they do require that one gift that Mary especially had, and that is that gift of faith. This gospel lesson really teaches us about two great works that are happening and need to be done in this world. The first great work is what Jesus was referring to when he said, my hour has not yet come. The work of salvation. The ultimate wedding problem. And that's the separation between God and and all people. And how God loves us and wants to be united with us. As we heard Isaiah say, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's the way God wants to see all people in that way. And that's, that's the hour that Jesus is talking about. That's the great work that is done in this world and still being shared with the world around us. But there's another important miracle that's happening in this gospel lesson and happening in our world today. And that would be our good works of faith, our filling of our own jars, whatever they may be. Uh, Paul says in Colossians that this is his working in us mightily. Here's where we do work with God. Our salvation is all his work, but our good works are his work and our work together. St. Augustine said, the Lord provides the wind, but we have to lift the sails. 
And so, knowing our salvation is completed by Jesus, now we can take our little problems to Him as well in prayer. And we can also add our work to it, filling the jars as needs to be done, and know that God will turn the big problem into good wine and the little problem into good wine as well. As the new year unfolds and our journey of faith continues, it's so good for us to look back on Jesus' journey of salvation, the journey to the cross and to the resurrection. It begins with this miracle and this manifesting of his glory. Through the cross, Christ provides the wine of our salvation. This is his great hour that will come at the end of the Gospel of John. And we will come to that soon enough in our worship services when we get to Easter. But we also rejoice in the jars being filled and being turned into wine as well. The wine of the good works that glorify God and turn people toward him that they might find in him not only the one who can turn their problems into sweet wine, but the one who can turn their very souls, their very lives, their very eternal future into the sweet wine of his salvation for his sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise and